I mean, you'd love to fix perception because I would love to win one for what I know about football and stuff. And I know if I fix perception, that means I did everything I wanted to do, which isn't fix perception. It's win a damn Super Bowl. Um, but I also know, like, when you say big games, like, we've got to win a bunch of big games to get to Super Bowls. Um, we've won a lot of big games here. Uh, we've won a lot of big games to get into playoffs. Um, the fact that we keep getting there shows you guys how many, how much we've been game, win games or big games. And I think you guys are aware of that. Um, but it's, you know, these two Super Bowls have been tough losing to Kansas City. Um, but to think that if if we win that, that means I can win a big game. No, that means our team won the Super Bowl. Um, that's what that's what I understand. You guys can have any narrative you want, but like the success or the failure. Uh, it comes down to one game, and I hope that I can be a part of a team that wins a game at the end of the year. But to say that the Niners can't win a big game would be an extremely inaccurate statement. Well, they can win a big game. They just can't win the big, uh, big game. game. They won right. five Super Bowls and lost none in the first 29 editions <laughs> of the Super Bowl. In the next 29, they've won zero and lost three. So, you know, for 50% of the existence – of the Super Bowl, they're 0-3. They haven't won that big game. And, look, it's a tough spot for Kyle. Of course there's a perception he can't win the big game because he's been to three of them, two with the Niners, and one is the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons, and he's lost. And in each of the three, a double-digit blow, a double-digit lead was blown, or a double-digit double digit lead was blown. Yeah. Got my words in the right order. And so, so, I, I feel bad for him. Because you know what? It was Tom Brady once and it was Patrick Mahomes twice. It's the point Kevin Clark was talking about when he was with us last week. There's going to be a lot of Carl Malone's and Charles Barkley's out there in the, in the wake of Patrick Mahomes, just like there was with Michael Jordan. That's what's going to happen. That's just it. Kyle Shanahan, who could have had Mahomes with the second overall pick in the 2017 draft, didn't take him, and now he's got to deal with it. That's why the perception is there that he can't win the big game. He came up against Tom Brady in Atlanta, and he's come up against Mahomes twice. Yeah. You give him any other team from the AFC, and maybe he's got two Super Bowl right. rings right now. Right. It's greatness. It's great. This is ironic. It's ironic that he could have had this guy at pick number three when he came out, and now here he is, the kryptonite to your football team. I mean, it's crazy how the world works that way, right? Shanahan wants to find – that guy that could just run his system, Kirk Cousins, whatever, not even looking for maybe the superstar that like his father had with John Elway, thinking he can do that way, and yet he's, you know, facing our modern-day John Elway, and he's like, well, you're not beating me today. It's Sorry. Sorry, you're not going to do it. I'm one of the greatest of all time. I have a hard time not looking at this and looking at Shanahan. First off, you know, winning the big game, yeah, surely. I, I get it. The big game. He's won a ton of big games, though. I mean, come on. That's where I don't love yes. that, you know, to that point. Right. Right? It's, 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 it's you're beating the number one seed Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers on the road in the divisional game on a cold, you know, Saturday night to go to the NFC Championship and play the Rams when nobody thought they were going to go in there and win that football game. I mean, you, you said it, right? It's four out of five NFC championship games. So they've obviously won some big games. But, yes, nobody's going to look at you as a winner until you win the big game, like you're saying. And I find the parallels to him and the guy that he can't beat right now in the Super Bowl with Andy Reid kind of fascinating. It feels the same way. 
It really does. These are the things that everybody said about Andy Reid if you rewind the clock and go back to 2005 or 2006. He can get you to those big games, but he can't get you over the hump to win it. And you know what got him over the hump? Oh, he got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. That certainly helped. And, of course, he learned how to coach big game football a little bit better, too, as we've seen. And those are things that, you know, Shanahan is going to have to continue to hear and deal with until he wins this this Super Bowl and gets everybody off his back. Yeah, and, hey, look, I go back to the 70s, right? In order to have a Don Shula, in order to have a Chuck Knoll, in order to have a John Madden, you needed a Bud Grant. And it could be that Kyle Shanahan's fate is to be this generation's Bud Grant. It'll get him to the Hall of Fame. He'll win enough games to be regarded as one of the all-time greats. But he might end up without a single ring. As long as he keeps coming across Patrick Mahomes, if he keeps going back to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's hard enough to get to the Super Bowl, but then we get there. And, God, we got to play Mahomes again? The AFC in general, you're going to play somebody. Right, yeah. I mean, the AFC in general, yeah. it feels but like I'll you're going to. I'll take gonna... anybody except Mahomes. Right. I'll take my chances against anybody except I hear Mahomes. You. No, I'm with uh, Maybe you. Lamar Jackson. We saw what happened on Christmas night. But, but Mahomes is the one that has become the kryptonite for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And also, also. Now, look, Reed eventually needed to change his scenery. He didn't do it voluntarily, but after 14 years, Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Eagles, decided to move on. And with that that move to Kansas City, after he got Patrick Mahomes, everything changed. At some point, if they keep banging their head against the ceiling that is a Super Bowl win, at some point, Kyle will need that fresh start, too. He should want that fresh start at some point. Something I said during the break, and I'm not going to repeat it with the same degree of profanity that I used, But at a certain point, Kyle's got to ask himself, even though I have full control of this team, do I really have full control of this team? Are there forces in this organization that are keeping me from running this team the way that I really would want to? Do I have too much crap to worry about, about who's really in charge, about who's trying to talk me out of doing the things I want to do? Maybe I need to go somewhere where I'm really in charge, not just in charge on paper. Because I feel like there are forces in that organization that are keeping him from being everything he could be as a head coach. Well... I, I don't know. I don't know if I feel that way, right? They, I do, to your point, they have some strong personalities in that organization where, yeah, maybe their, their opinions are valued or have a, you know, higher, you know, standing than maybe, you know, other places where the head coach has full control. I don't disagree with you there. I don't. But I don't think it's time to leave yet. I don't. I mean, I don't think that. They got something great going here. Like you said, you know, people kind of act like, oh, you, you, you just get like Super Bowl. You're supposed to win it. No problem. Right. Okay. Yeah. First off, it's not easy to win. Not easy to get there. And you're playing a guy that we've never seen anybody like this guy. Never. Like, I don't care what we say, whatever. I know Brady's still got all the hardware. Nobody is Patrick Mahomes. Nobody. I don't care. Brady, Manning, nobody. Right. I mean, the fourth quarter game-winning drives, all the stats say Mahomes is on another level than everybody else in the playoffs to this point. Like, he's borderline unstoppable. It's like Jordan's got the ball, 30 seconds left, you're going to lose. That's what we've seen from Mahomes so far, other than, you know, a game where he had a broken toe and had to get surgery the next day. But the thing I get back to, you know, the having to deal with Mahomes, right? You know, you said it, the Mahomes factor earlier. I mean, that's real. The league is so, you know, his ability to run, scramble, do all those things. And why I'm saying that, too, is like, Man, you, I think in this day and age, when you have a quarterback like Brock Purdy, 
all right, and you're playing a good AFC team that maybe is not even totally as good as you in totality of your team, which I think we would all sit there and watch the game and everybody I watch to next to, my son, other fans, I mean – I think we all sat there and went, mm, the 49ers kind of look like the better team, right, throughout the football game, okay? But in this day and age where it's so close and maybe your team is a little bit better, I think it is fair to question, like, in those type of games, can guys like Brock Purdy really, you know, overcome Mahomes? And the way the league is set up, it's a quarterback league, it's a passing league, so yeah, one team is just a little bit better, but damn... I've seen that in three Super Bowls now with the Chiefs, and they win the game because of the greatness of the quarterback. And that's where, you know, I think Shanahan's going to continue to be dissected and Brock Purdy's going to be dissected, just like Jimmy Garoppolo was to a degree, because we don't see that top-tier superstar talent, and we're not sure he can make some of those plays we're talking about to win the actual football game. And really, the one Super Bowl that he lost was the one where his effort to try to do everything in his power to win the game was almost superhuman with some of the stuff he was doing. Yeah, it was insane. Insane. needed to be surgically repaired not long after the game ended. So Mahomes is going to rip out a lot of hearts. Mahomes is going to keep doing what Mahomes does. And it's funny because during the Super Bowl, you know, you, you and I both picked the Chiefs because of Mahomes. Right. And there were moments where I'm like, okay, well, you know what? Maybe this isn't a universal narrative. Maybe yeah. There will be days. Team. Maybe Mahomes, the team will win like, sometimes, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nope. 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 I thought that Mahomes the first time when it was 20 Mahomes to 10, does. 49ers, right? In the first Super Bowl, I was like, oh, man, I guess the, the team will beat the quarterback. But I think we're in an era right now where great quarterback can beat the team that's a little bit better than the team he's on. He can close that gap and overcome that. And we're seeing a handful of well, guys one that can. do that. One can. Right, right. One does it consistently yes. in single elimination. Right. I mean, that's the reality. At the end of the day, and this is where the analytics people got need to sit down and shut up when you're running these numbers about whether to kick or receive, back to what we were talking about earlier. You can't quantify the reality that when it's time to flip that switch for the postseason – this guy gets even better. He gets more focused. He gets more determined. Whatever is within him, the product of all those reps and all those games and all those experiences and all those wins, he just he thrives. That's Folks, that's why I'm telling you, if you don't like it, you better find something else to do on Sundays between <laughs> September and January because this guy's only going to get better. Just sit back and enjoy it like we all did with Michael Jordan. Like people – you know, I, did people despise the Bulls because they won so many games? Oh. No, they loved the fact that they were witnessing what Michael Jordan was yeah. doing because they knew, I knew at the time, we're not going to see this again. Right. And spare me the whole LeBron versus Michael thing. No disrespect to LeBron, but anybody that says LeBron was better than Michael Jordan wasn't alive. Exactly. Michael was exactly. Pretty much. Doing when he was doing. I don't know anybody that's alive that thinks that, but like anybody, yes, under the age of 24, they, they, they have that thought. And we're like, what are you talking about? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, one more thing before we go, cause I know we got, you know, nine more segments in the next 47 minutes, here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, the, the other thing that just pops up to me about the game and just, you know, this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with kind of the subject we're on, but I do find it fascinating. We've had, I think we've had now like five 
10-point second-half leads overcome, right, in Super Bowl history. Four of them have all been from the same defensive scheme. Four of them. i just like to point that out. Seattle in 2014. The Falcons with Dan Quinn from Seattle in 2016. And now the 249ers losses. It's all the same scheme. I do think there's something to be said about that, you know. It's, it is a little bit, again, of what we talk about. You know, it's not we do what we do, but it is we do what we do within a certain confinement as compared to Spags, right, and some of these coaches that we're seeing, right, where, where Spags is like, I, we don't know what the hell he's going to do on this play. We don't know. Uh, it's, he's going to come up with something that maybe we haven't seen or aren't ready for, or there's just so many variations of what he do, what he does. Excuse me, and I, I just I found that kind of fascinating too, Mike. Do you remember the other ten point deficit that was overcome? Football historian? Yes. Bowl, well, remember? do you remember? Well, I said well the last year, right? I mean, it was last year too. There was no, no, no. Back in twenty two, Super Bowl twenty two, Doug Williams. Washington, oh, you're 10, right. It was 10 nothing right at the start of the game. Two points. Right. I was thinking points in the second quarter. Second half, 10-point deficits, right? Okay. But, yes, you were exactly right. That was 10 right. points, and you were going, oh, my gosh, Elway and the Broncos are going to run away with this thing. And then Doug Williams started throwing bombs to Gary Clark and company, and that thing was over. <laughs> and Timmy Smith threw his thing, 203 rushing yards right. as a rookie. Unbelievable Super Bowl that was. Yeah. That was one that the, the Vikings – could have been in if they, if they lost wah, wah. All right, we got to, now the same break. Break. Good. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Will Chris Jones be back in Kansas City? We'll talk about that next on PFT Live. I wonder when the last time you jumped on a dog pile like that, the way you did with Chris uh, would have been, and just what that moment was like uh, to, to let that out like that. Yeah, well, I was so happy for him. I've kind of been riding him a little bit. We, we needed him in there. He was spent, and um, he was tired, but he sucked it up, and he got out there, and he pushed himself probably further than he thought he could push himself. You know, I mean, he took himself to that that state, you know, that wrestling state where you, you got to, you got, you know, to really reach down in there and kind of get through that evil thing that's like kicking your butt in, internally. So he did that, and um, I was so proud of him for that. Veach just said it before, we'd love to have him back. And, um, uh, you know, it, they've just got to work all that out. So, um, but I, I think the, the effort will be there probably on both parts to try to get something done. Andy Reid talking about Chris Jones. First of all, there are many words that could be used to describe whatever that interaction was between Andy Reid and Chris Jones after the Super Bowl. Dogpile is not one of them. Dogpile implies more than two people. Yes. When it's right. two people, it's not a dogpile. No. So just just point of clarification there. And secondly, what he said about Chris Jones, you know what it made me think of? It made me think of that clip from Super Bowl 34 when Dick Vermeil, the coach of the Rams, was apoplectic that Leonard Little was tapping out on that drive. Oh, right. Titans He's like, really? Driving, right now? Trying to force right. time. Like, what? Now? Right. What? You don't want to be in there now? Well, guys get tired. Yes. Guys know their bodies. Guys know what they can and can't do. And to Chris Jones' credit, 
And as Andy Reid said, he accessed something in that moment to fight through it, and he made a big play in overtime to keep the 49ers from scoring a touchdown. Yes, yeah, it's always funny. It was like, oh, yes, a coach who's not an athlete's telling me what an athlete should be doing in this moment, <laughs> right? I mean, but, yeah, Chris Jones – I mean, yeah, I, I'm is a phenomenal football player. We know he's one of the best we've ever seen at the defensive tackle position. He's going to the Hall of Fame, right? And they needed him in this one. He probably did play more snaps than he would have liked to, but they were a little undermanned at the D tackle position, and he's the best D tackle they got on their team by far, right? But you know, they they showed up the way they defended that run uh, throughout the game. Really, I mean, McCaffrey had 22 carries for 80 yards. He had like 17 yards on the first drive of the game, right, on two carries. So it was 20 carries for like 63 yards the rest of the game. That was phenomenal and, of course, a big reason why the, the Chiefs won that game. So he becomes a free agent next month. The franchise tag number would be prohibitive for the Chiefs. So they either sign him or he becomes an unrestricted free agent, free to sign with any other team, Reed suggested they'll do what they can to try to work it out. And look, this is his last shot at getting paid. He's not going to play until he's 40 like Patrick Mahomes. And they'll put the hard sell on him. They'll hope that he'll decide to do a deal that allows the Chiefs to have enough other great players around him. But at the end of the day, you know, he's going to know what's behind door number one, and he's going to know what's behind door number two. We're going to be in Indy in 12 days. That's when the tampering stuff really gets going and even before it's time to sign a contract there's that 48 to 52 hour window where you can negotiate with other teams the Chiefs will have an offer on the table and there will be other offers out there the question is how much more will he take from someone else and how hard will someone else try to pry him away from the Chiefs yesterday I just kind of threw that that dart in the dark that Jim Harbaugh is going to try to get him. But, I mean, we've seen and heard enough from Jim Harbaugh over the years to understand his very linear approach to life. There's a great player on our top rival that if we can get him away from our top rival, they will be substantially weaker and we will be substantially stronger and have a better chance of competing with them. What does it take to get him Go get him, whether it's Harbaugh or somebody else. But somebody in the division is more likely to do it, I believe. Let's go get this guy and hurt the Chiefs if we can. It's very simple. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you there. I think there's that aspect. I think the Chiefs got to worry about that team that, kind of like you're saying, new head coach or trying to flip around the culture right now on the fly, that's going to be maybe willing to spend – a lot of money for two years on a guy like Chris Jones. I think that's the problem the Chiefs are going to arrive, uh, have to deal with. And, of course, the Chiefs are trying to think long play here. They have Mahomes. They're thinking, wait, we're in the Super Bowl window for at least the next 10 years. So I'm sure they don't want to be con uh, cemented or connected to any long-term deal with Chris Jones and having to deal with that. But I also think with, like, Chris Jones and the Chiefs, he's more likely to want more years and more – guarantees and and things like that because he's like wait you drafted me I've been here all this like sign me up for a little while so I'll be interested to see where this goes they have some tough decisions we know I mean he and Legereus Sneed who's one of the best corners in football right they can't I don't think they're gonna afford 
to lose both of them. They're going to hear it from their fan base. It's just which one are they going to keep? How is this going to work out? Uh, I'll be interested to see where this goes. Another interesting development from yesterday. Tyreek Hill, formerly with the Chiefs, who knows a thing or two about what Steve Spagnuolo can do by way of putting a good defensive game plan together. And Spagnuolo now has put together some of the all-time great Super Bowl defensive game plans. He was a head coach once with the Rams. It was a disaster. Tyreek Hill asked... And I'll paraphrase, why doesn't Spagnolo get any interviews to be a head coach? Kevin Demoff, the COO of the Rams since 2009, acknowledged something that we said in the past. Basically, and this isn't Demoff's word, this is mine, the Rams were a shit show back then. Right. It was a dysfunctional mess. There was infighting at every level of the organization. Demoff said it's well past time to see Spags get another head coaching opportunity. The team and the organization he inherited in St. Louis was a mess. Nobody could have had success. Nobody could have had success. And he changed the culture and the staff and the players believed an amazing human being deserving of the real shot we couldn't give him. Hey, Kevin, that's great. Why didn't you say that before all the seats were taken? Why weren't you pushing him the way you were pushing Raheem Morris? Why, why don't you? I mean, this ridiculous. I, I got no problem with the candor from Kevin Demoff. I appreciate it. But how about piping up and speaking your mind when one of the jobs was still available? What the hell? Why don't we hear this from Demoff before yesterday? Well, so yeah. let's remember it when we get to the next cycle, when when Spagnuolo's another year older. And I do think that there is an age issue, an Definitely. age discrimination 100%. issue in the NFL. Right. It's not going to be any easier for him a year from now to become a head coach. No. But come on, Kevin. Great, great, great job, Kevin, sticking up for the guy when there's nothing anyone can do about it. Uh, well, listen, don't be too critical. He did do a nice thing that he didn't have to do. I mean, it was still cool that he sent out that text. I understand, yeah, you'd like it early, but he's also got a guy that like was a defensive coordinator on his own staff who won a Super Bowl where he's like, well, I'd like to see my guy get a job first before I start to pub some guy when I first got to the Rams, right, you know, 12 years ago and get him the job. So don't be too critical of him. It still was a nice tweet. Well, let me say this. Let me say this. Yeah, yeah. Let me say this. And I'm on record. Right. You know, the NFL has a long history of issues with – giving fair opportunities to minority coaches. It has been a chronic problem for decades. They're facing litigation over it. It's real. Troy Vincent has admitted on the record two years ago when Brian Flores filed his lawsuit. It's real. So I'm on board with any effort to make it better, even if the effort is imperfect. And the current effort, I believe, is imperfect, but it's better than nothing. But Chris, to answer your question, he got two third-round picks when Raheem Morris got a head coaching job. He wasn't going to get anything. If Steve Spagnuolo got a head coaching job. So that's the answer to your question. Well, yeah. At a very basic, cynical level. And we know that's how teams think. That's the difference. Well, it's good business. I mean, yeah. What do we want him to do? Oh, wait. Forget my guy that won me a Super Bowl. And let me pub somebody. I mean, again, don't be I, too critical of him. He did the right I, thing I, there. He still I'm, did the I'm, right I'm, thing. He, well, you know. He did I, it late. He did it too late for it to matter. Well, it, he did it know, too late for it to matter. Some other that's people. That's point. on the Chiefs. The Chiefs should be doing that. They should be saying it. They should have said this three weeks ago in a tweet. Clark Hunt should have said it, right? That it, it, it's not on the Rams to start worrying about other coaches on the other staff. So I, I know, you know, it's better at this point to just. I know, but you're right. I, I hear you still. It's either hollow. way, it rings hollow. You, it I rings you. hollow now. He's the greatest coordinator, one of the greatest point. coordinators we've ever seen. Right? Definitely, he's another great example of why coordinators need to be in the Hall of Fame. 
You can't, you can't seriously talk about some of the Super Bowls in the history of the game without bringing up Spagnuolo's name. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's insane what he's done. So he's incredible that way, but I agree with you. It's the age factor. It's all of those things that uh, hurt him. And, yeah, I, I, Tyree Kill, damn, he sounds like he's trying to get his way back to Kansas City the last Break few days. Break up the Chiefs. What? I mean, he's trying to, Reed and, he's, Reed and he, Mahomes he, are different. And, you know, that, all right, he's trying to – he's kissing some butt again here. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Right. Wouldn't that be something if one of the moves that happens this offseason is Tyree Kill returns? I lied. I lied. Mahomes is more accurate. Mahomes is better. Mahomes is the MVP. (laughs) I lied. I can't help it anymore. (laughs) Kind of hard to think the Chiefs would want him back after going two for two and winning Super Bowls without him. Right. Kind of hard to think that they're pining away, you know, for Tyree Kill to return. All right. Time to take a break. Oh, one, one last thing. And, and, th- and this goes to what we're saying about Demoff. It's not like no one was saying Spagnolo should get a chance and the Rams were a crap show when he was there. We were saying it when jobs were open. And right. presumably he's in a position to be aware of what we're talking about. That would have been the time to do it, not after the confetti falls on the Super Bowl and all the jobs are filled. Again, I, I, I appreciate the sentiment. It just rings completely hollow to me because it comes at a time where it's not going to matter. And by next year, as we said, he's a year older. And we know, and hopefully this becomes a focal point, that the NFL definitely has an age issue that takes a back seat to the much bigger and longstanding chronic problems the NFL has had when it comes to proper representation of minority coaches in key positions in the NFL. Let's take a break. When we return... Arthur Blank, clean up on aisle five as to the perception that he wanted Bill Belichick, even if he did. More PFT Live right after this. I do want to make it 1,000% clear. I want to go to 2,000% or 100,000, whatever percent you want to use. Bill Belichick never asked for, in our discussions, full control of personnel or the building or anything of that nature. He was very inclusive, very collaborative. Um, he met Terry Fontenot. Uh, he checked out our people doing his own his own references. Uh, he sent me a private text, which I eventually shared with Terry, that he was happy working with him. So all these, I don't know whatever you want to call them, want to be kind to the media, but all of these uh, Thank you. Th- things that were being produced by the media were totally not true. Um, I don't say it to to, um, to, to to patronize Bill, but to be fair to him. Uh, I mean, he never had that as a requirement. I mean, he's got, you know, he's got his history. He has a way of doing things, et cetera, which has been very, very successful. Now, you could debate, you know, is that true the last four years or so? It might be a little different picture, but, you know, there's a lot of stories behind a lot of things. So um, I think it was a very good series of interviews with him. Our folks were impressed with him. I was impressed with them as I were a number of the candidates. And we just felt, all things considered, for a variety of reasons, that Raheem Morris was clearly the best choice for us. Look, what else is Arthur Blank going to say? We really want to build Belichick, but we just couldn't work it out, so we settled for Raheem Morris. No one's going to say that. No one in their right mind is going to say it. And to the extent that there were media misperceptions, if that's what he believed, that's when you activate your PR staff to push back against them in real time. That's what PR does. You don't just sit around waiting for the house to be on fire and try to put it out. You actively communicate to people in the media what you are doing. 
You don't wait for some misperception, if you believe it's a misperception, to get hardened in stone. And when you interview the guy and you tell the world you've interviewed the guy, you create expectations. So you better be pushing back. Hey, oh, we're bringing in Bill, but we got a lot of other candidates. He is not the front runner. Do not believe what you're hearing. If people are telling you he's a front runner, he's not the front runner. Now, if you ask that question, you would get that answer, but they were not aggressively putting it out there. You got to realize if you don't aggressively put that out there, people are going to believe he was the front runner. People are going to believe that's who they wanted. And I've heard Blank wanted him. And I don't think it takes a very high IQ, which qualifies me to comment on this, to realize that the structure in the organization was not going to work with Bill Belichick. Right. And he didn't have to say, I want full control. Exactly. All he had to say is, right. I don't want to work with Rich McKay. Right. Because he didn't want to work with Rich McKay. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, exactly what you just said. Duh. I mean, the, that's, that's the word on the street. I mean, of course, that's what everybody in football thinks. Talk to anybody. It, it's not that, yeah, you know, that it, Arthur Blank, it's not that we wanted Belichick. He wanted Belichick, maybe. All right. And I don't know about that personal aspect. I know you've heard some things and whatever else. But either way, like, I, from everything I've heard from people around the league, yeah. I mean, Terry Fontenot, McKay, what, why would they want Bill Belichick there? Why? I mean, do you think they were like, you know, hey, Arthur, let's hire Bill so I'm. I have no part in the organization, and really my job's kind of done, right? Oh, yeah, please, Bill, do that. Oh, I want to be the GM for Bill, so wait, I could recommend a player, and Bill's going to go, no, I don't want that effing guy. I want this guy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, oh, I'm the GM, right? I mean, what, do you, what is everybody, like, stupid? Of course not. They were like, oh, I don't think you should do that. It's only going to be two years. He's going to want to control everything. Then you have to get back. I'm sure they made all their selling points, let alone me know it was risky anyways. Right? I mean, he is an older coach. There is fair to question the last four years, definitely. And then it's, que- it's fair to question, is he going to leave you at the altar in two years anyways? They got a guy they know. They got a guy that's young, energetic, you know, can get them out of the doldrums of where they are right now. He is African-American. We know that is a highly populated African-American city. It makes a lot of sense. I, I totally you know, agree with the Raheem Morris hiring uh, and can understand why the Falcons' other top people in their organization didn't want Belichick there. This is ultimately the reason why I believe Bill Belichick only had one interview, because you have to understand going in, when you talk to Bill Belichick, it is going to create an expectation that he's going to be the coach. It creates a media problem. It creates a PR challenge. Right. And I don't think the Falcons handled it very well. Unless they wanted Belichick and they were willing to deal with the PR crap on the back end like Arthur Blank is doing now, blaming it on the media. It's always our fault. It's not that they wanted him and they just couldn't work it out and then they pivoted to their next choice. No, it's not that. It's, well, the media was full of crap. We never wanted him. Well, you brought him in. And see, when you bring him in for an interview, that's why I said there were multiple teams that were thinking about pursuing him. But you have to be sure... If you go that direction, that you're going to see it through to the end because you can't just start down the Bill Belichick path and turn around and walk away and expect everyone to think that the guy you hire, if it's not Bill Belichick, was your first choice all along. Why are you talking to Bill Belichick if the guy you hired was your first choice all along? That's what Arthur Blank is trying to clean up because, I mean, Arthur Blank, everywhere I look now, Arthur Blank's talking here, he's talking there, he's talking there, he's talking there. I think he's he's recognizing 
they didn't do a very good job of talking down this notion that Bill Belichick was their preferred candidate. And early in the process, my understanding is Belichick is the guy that Blank wanted. And yeah, I think Rich McKay talked him out of it. And and it's not to say they're going to fail with Raheem Morris. It may go perfectly well. Unlike today's show. Yeah, this is well, this is different. Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead. Time. Go ahead. My bad. I was just saying this is right, different. Go ahead, go it's ahead. different. It's different than like Dan Quinn and we wanted two guys who haven't been a head coach and then you were the third option. I mean, I don't think anybody like around football or in Atlanta is like, oh, this might be better, man. Exactly. This might oh, be better. This they, might be. They really wanted Belichick and we got stuck with Raheem. It's a little different thing. I think everybody with a brain or common Agreed. sense is going to go. Great point. Well, hey, I mean, of course we talked to Belichick. I mean, we'd be stupid if we didn't. So, you know, don't clean up too much is what I'm saying, Arthur Blank. Nobody's looking at you going, you're wrong to want Bill Belichick or, or dive into that subject. I mean, I, that's what a smart man would do. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the guy who should be doing all this media right now is Josh Harris, telling people or at least trying to convince them that Dan Quinn was the guy they wanted all along. That's right. a great point because I think if you're a Falcons fan, you can look at it and say, okay, I understand why they were a little smitten with Belichick, right. but we got a guy that could end up being pretty damn good for 10, 15 years exactly. as a head coach. Exactly. And uh, that's longer than Belichick was ever going to be there. Let's take a break. When we return, the UFL announced its rules yesterday. The UFL will not be incorporating the very unique kickoff rule that the XFL used at the time when the NFL is considering adopting it. We'll give you the latest on that when PFC Live continues right after this. The UFL debuts on March 30. The UFL is the result of the merger of the XFL and the USFL. And most people thought that the end result was going to look a lot more like the XFL and one of the trademarks of the XFL, a very unique kickoff that puts 20 guys five yards apart deep in the receiving team's end. The NFL has actually been exploring using the XFL kickoff. The UFL will not be using the XFL kickoff. The UFL is going to use a traditional approach like the NFL and college currently use with the ball being kicked off from the 20 to encourage more returns. Kicking it off from the 20 with no touchback to the 25 if you take a fair catch inside the 25 as the NFL adopted on a one-year basis this year. Now, Chris, when I saw that the UFL would not be using the XFL kickoff, my question was, and I started to try to gather information on whether or not that would change one way or the other, whether or not the NFL is going to continue to explore the XFL kickoff. Here's what I'm told. Fresh. This came in fresh this morning during the show. The committee work starts tomorrow in advance of the combine and the rules making and everything that will culminate in the late March league meetings where rule changes are made. The belief is that the XFL kickoff rule will not get to 24 votes that someone other than the competition committee and the coaches is pushing for the XFL rule. And we know when we hear that, you know what that means? The people who have no football knowledge or experience who have other agendas and other motivations are trying to push this XFL kickoff rule. The football people don't want it. And the belief is there isn't enough of a, of a push enough momentum to get 24 owners to go along with adopting the XFL kickoff. So even though they've been looking at it, 
it looks like it's not going to make it. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I think what I really want to say is I, I, I wish they would look harder at it or I wish they would really think about it. It feels like where we're going, right, with how they set up the kickoff rules that you already explained, with how the kicker's legs are getting stronger and stronger. I mean, they're, they're like you said in the Super Bowl on Monday, we didn't have one kickoff return. I mean, there wasn't one. Right, the first game, time ever. The play is it's leaving, and I I don't think I think we're going to continue to have that stat as we go. We're going to continue to get to playoff games and whatever, and go. Oh, there was no kick return in that game. No kick return in that game. So here's one way to do it, right? And I think the way the XFL did it was fairly safe. And there's some tactical coaching and things that can go into it that certainly I think make the game schematically cool too. There. Right, I don't think they're going to go back to the college rule and go, hey, go back to crushing each other's heads again. Like That's not going to happen. So the XFL one is the one that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, look, I like it too. And I, they always worry about, well, what's going to happen? Well, try it for a year. At least we'll have some kickoff returns. The kickoff return has become a dead play. So you better have something else. They, that's the problem. They can't come up with anything else. And they blame it on the special teams coaches for not coming up with something else. Well, the league office needs to come up with something. Hire somebody. Get a retired special teams coach. Have a committee that's focused solely on generating and brainstorming ideas for a kickoff play that actually results in a kickoff return or two every once in a while. It Let's seems weird we're going we're gonna to get Devin Hester in the Hall of Fame this year as a kick returner. And he returned a kick in the Super Bowl. And we have no kick returns in the Super Bowl. I mean, that's where we are in football right now. Well, and, uh, yeah, the next Devin Hester better work on skills other than return specialists yeah, right. because if you're a kickoff return guy, you don't have a place in the NFL at this point. When we return, today's draft, the most dominant NFL dynasties. That's next here on PFT Live. First and goal at the three. Lining up in the clock at 10 seconds and ticking. In the shotgun, Mahomes. Four-man front, receiver of motion, low snap. He runs and he throws, caught, touchdown! It's caught! Hardman caught the ball! The Chiefs have won! The Chiefs have won! The entire bench empties! Chasing Mahomes in the end zone! Their third Super Bowl in five years! The Chiefs are back-to-back Super Bowl champions! It is a dynasty. Kevin Harlan, one of the best out there to do it, if not the very best, calling the win by the Kansas City Chiefs. It is a dynasty. It is. The Chiefs don't want to call it a dynasty. It That's is. not for them to say. It's for everyone else to say. And if they're not a dynasty, I don't know what the hell is a no, dynasty. It's, it's like, so the NFL's most dominant. Do you find it kind of cool that like they like I think it's kind of cool that they've got a dynasty yet they've lost a Super Bowl. I mean, I know they'd like to win four and the Chiefs fans, but that to me is also what makes it unique. We haven't really seen like dynasties like that or like this where it's like, well, they lost one pretty bad, but they kept fighting and here they are and now they've won two more after that bad loss in the Super Bowl. Uh, I think that adds to the uniqueness of what the Chiefs are doing. All right, give me the most dominant dynasty. You're up first. Well, I mean, like, are we really going to pick the Patriots, right? I mean, is that even part of this? Like, I mean, you know, I, I want to be like, should we even? I mean, it was 20 years. Obviously, that was like the most dominant, right? I mean, I almost want to. Which, wanna... there were two of them. Yeah. There were two. Right. With a 10-year break. 
Which one would you put above the other? Well, the first three or the second three? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. That, I don't know. Maybe the first three. But, yeah, there was a break, but they lost two in the middle there, too. So, it's like, I don't know. Right. Was there a break? I mean, damn. So, I almost, I'm not going to pick them just because I feel like it's obvious, okay? I'm not going to do it right now. I almost want to call it the Patriot Memorial Draft. I'll go with the Niners of the oh, 80s yeah, and 90s. Fine. Niners of 80s and 90s. Right. Let's leave the Patriots out of it. I just look at that and go, wait, in the 80s, they went to what? Five NFC championship games. They won four Super Bowls. They almost came back and beat the Redskins in the 83 championship game. Of course, we're on the fringe of beating the Giants in the 90 championship game. You go to, you know, three, three more in the 90s. You win a Super Bowl there. Right. I, I look at them and I think what adds to it to me is, you know, really controlled all Super Bowls other than the one in Miami against the Bengals dominated the Dolphins dominated the Broncos you know the first matchup against the Bengals was close 26-21 if I remember but they kind of had control of the game late Uh, I'll go with the Niners of the 80s and 90s well you know where I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the Pittsburgh Steelers because you accused me of being a Steelers fan of course 70s I most definitely was not they won four Super Bowls. If I had become a Steelers fan back then, I wouldn't be sitting here right now because my desire to enjoy that Super Bowl winning experience would have been quenched and I wouldn't have done something else with my life. So, sorry, folks. If I'd have been a Steelers fan, you wouldn't have to deal with me. The Steelers of the 70s, four Super Bowl wins between 74 and 79. That was the original true dynasty of the Super Bowl era. We already have to take a break. We'll cram in the final two rounds as we land the plane or not when PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, let's go. Two more rounds in the most dominant dynasty draft. Chris, who you got? You know, it's a a tough one here. I think I'm going to go with the Chiefs of right now. I am. I, you know, again, I know. Right? They haven't won any of these Super Bowls in a dominant way. I get that. But, I mean, again, the, 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 we saw the, the, the Patriots, they had six Super Bowls, and they didn't win one in a dominant way. Right? So that, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to go with the Chiefs just from the mere fact of, I don't know, none of these teams went to six straight AFC championships. None of these teams went to four out of five Super Bowls and won three of them. I mean, damn, I don't know. That's a pretty special run. So I know the Super Bowls themselves haven't been blowouts or dominant, but that doesn't matter. And so I'm going to go with the Chiefs as my second pick. We had some very pointed objections earlier this week talking about the unprecedented three-peat potential for the Chiefs because the Packers had done it before in the 60s. I downplayed it then. I cannot downplay this. 61, 62, 65, 66, 67. Right. Five championships from 61 to 67. I know it wasn't merged and only two were Super Bowls, but the Packers were the original NFL dynasty. They were unstoppable in the 60s. Yeah, they were. They definitely were. Man, the last one here, I I think I'm going to have to go with, like, the Cowboys of the 70s, right? It, it, it hurts you. It's not, oh, not the 90s? Not, you know, not the, the Phil Cowboys? Well, those are two, but I will say with the Cowboys, what did they go in the 70s? Did they go to five Super Bowls? I know they won two. You know, they lost championship games. They went to five and won two. Right, so they yeah. were all over it in there almost every single year, so I'll, I'll give them some loves. Well, love. <laughs> Last one for me, some love for Joe Gibbs. Yeah. Three Super Bowl wins from 82 
to 91 lost three one different quarterbacks. Right. And another Super Bowl appearance. Cool. All we right, all forget it. about that, Dynasty. See ya. See you tomorrow.